Good morning. My name is uh, Jared Weaver. Uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Vintage Grace. Uh, usually say that I'm the nerdy pastor. Um, like, like to get things done. A lot of the details that, that get connected. Uh, but also helping you guys uh, get connected in the community. Um, I've been able to be a part of uh, Life Group Ministry as well. So love being a part of Vintage Grace. Love uh, that God has brought our family here for about a, the last year and a half. Uh, but here we are in December, uh, the end of December, December 30th to be exact, and it, I've kind of realized December is both fun and exhausting all at once, right? Like, you're like, everybody's taking a collective exhale, I think, today and maybe the next couple of days. And so I have school-age kids. I have a five-year-old and I have an eight-year-old, uh, and so that means we're in the middle of, of the fun season uh, of Christmas. They, they love everything. They think it's great. Uh, we do lots of candy, uh, lots of cookies, uh, lots of gifts, lots of candy. Lots of cookies, um, family cards, candy, cookies, you know, gingerbread houses, candies and cookies, and, uh, and we do hot chocolate just because you haven't had enough sugar yet, so you add the hot chocolate uh, with that. And so uh, I'm also, uh, my title is the executive pastor, and so uh, I'm supposed to be the one who plans things. I, I didn't plan well uh, my marriage. I planned well my, my mate. Let's establish that. Uh, planned very well. God was good in that way. But the date of our anniversary, we, a week before Christmas, we got married. So you throw that in the mix. And uh, also, uh, our oldest child was born on Christmas Day. Uh, so we have that as well. So we've got pastor, all the different things. And so by the end of December, you can, you can imagine that my waistline, my checkbook, and my calendar is ready for the rhythm of a new year. All right? I love, I love the break from the rhythm and the rhyme that comes with December, all the fun things that you get to do. Uh, but I'm ready to get back at it. Uh, how about you this morning? Are you ready? ready. Oh, all right. 2019's on its way. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's just go. Uh, did you get a chance, though, to party, to enjoy a little bit of break from the rhythm uh, of your life, the out-of-the-ordinary fun that comes uh, with this season? I hope you did. Uh, and it sounds like my next question was, are you ready to launch in 2019? So I won't even ask you that. You're good to go. Uh, but in that, I have this question for you. It's this. What are you going to launch into next year? What is it that God has for you? Where is he taking you into 2019? Is it a new job? Maybe a new role, a new position, new something career-wise? Is it an exercise plan? I hope so for me. Is it, uh, now, is it a change in lifestyles? Because diets are bad, right? We don't do diets, but we change our lifestyle, right? Is it going to be eating clean, Maybe. Uh, maybe a hobby or an ambition that you've got that you're going to try. You're going to take up something new. What is it that God has for you? Or maybe you're just going to hold on. Like, I held on through 2018, and I just need to hold on again. I'm at that space. And that's okay. Uh, but I, I do want to encourage you to dream big. Set ambitious goals. And be, be ambitious for what God might do. Because God loves when you go big. Because who do you need? You need him. When you go big, you need God. And so where are you going to step in 2019? Where is it that God is leading you? Where is he calling you to step? And I pray that today will serve as gospel fuel for embarking on those dreams, on those desires and those determinations. You see, at Vintage Grace, we want to equip you to be everyday missionaries who is the love of Jesus, who proclaims the love of Jesus, who shows the love of Jesus in everywhere you go, right? You are the the embodiment, the, if I use a, a, a churchy term, the incarnation of Jesus in, in a certain particular place. And so this morning, I'm not going 
I'm not going to guilt you out of doing big dreams for what God has for you and, and say we need to do a bunch of churchy things like read your Bible and pray more kind of stuff, right? Like we just need to do that, right? That's the established reality of what God is calling us to do. But what is he calling? Why do we need to do those things? So that, right, we can do what he's asking us to do because we're needy people needing God. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying that instead you would let the gospel fuel your dream let the gospel propel you as you go, and let the gospel be your strength when you are weak. And we're going to do this by looking at three gospel fuel sources to launch you into being the living proof of a loving God in 2019. And we're going to do that by jumping it back into the book of Acts. It's been four weeks, so we've got to do a little bit of what we do in January. We've got to look back before we look forward. And so we're going to look back and see that we've been talking about kingdom movement happening in this book of Acts that the Spirit has been wrecking lives and empires along the way, and he does this with the, a bunch of ragtag apostles who established this new community, and that new community is called the church. And this church is, continues to grow and to grow, yet it, it receives persecution as people come against this new kingdom reality that is breaking into the world. And then we've seen that the church persecutor, the great church persecutor named Saul, actually experiences a great transformation in becoming the massive church planter, right? His name becomes Paul. And so he gets a, a radical transformation. And also the divides that divide the church are torn down. Jews and Gentiles are no longer, it's one community. So God is at work making a movement, creating a people, a united people under one spirit, one gospel, one Lord, Jesus Christ. And most recently, Paul was on his way to Asia. He wanted to go and spread the gospel in that direction. And then the Spirit of God said, yeah, I don't think so, Paul. Why don't you turn around and go back to Macedonia and go proclaim the gospel there? And so Paul's like, all right, that's what I do, whatever you say. So he makes his way back to Macedonia, stops in a city called Philippi, experiences the conversion of this, of this woman named Lydia. He gets imprisoned. And in that imprisonment, listen to this for a second, right? Like in that imprisonment, he, ex he is able to share the gospel with this Philippian jailer whose entire family comes to know Jesus, right? So God's at work. Even when we don't even understand it, God's moving. And so that leads us to Acts 17. And that's where we pick up our passage this morning. It's this, Acts 17, 1 through 15. And our big idea is this. When Paul and Silas proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection... In Thessalonica, the religiously sure Jews become ticked off and bring persecution. While many Gentiles, outsiders, are persuaded by the teaching, the relentless persecution pushes them to Berea, where curious Jews receive the gospel with eagerness. And so what we're going to see in this passage this morning is we're going to see at work the content of his message, we're going to see at work the work of his response, and we're going to see that our joy comes when persistence pays off. And so let's look at these gospel fuel sources for us this morning. The first is the content of his message. He brings a message, and that message is this, picking up at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And so what we've seen is that Paul and Silas have made their way from Philippi. And so they're, they're up there in that region. And they're going to make their way over through Amph Amphipolis and Apollonia. Try to say those fast. 
repeatedly. Uh, but basically what these cities are is, is it's Luke's way of saying, okay, it's a three-day journey. It's about a day trip to the first one, a day trip to A2, and then another day when we get to Thessalonica. And so they get to Thessalonica, and there, this is an important city because it's the capital of Macedonia. And so they establish themselves. And what is Paul's custom, it says in the text? He goes into the synagogue. And he begins to, he leverages, right, his connection that he has with the Jewish people. And he's going to leverage that connection to show them something, to show them something about their, their Messiah. Because we have to understand the, the content of his preaching. Look at verse 3. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so this this. Christ is also, it's just really the Greek term for Messiah. So this Christ and Messiah can be used interchangeably. And for the Jews, the expectation of the Messiah was this, is that the Messiah is going to be the one who is their hope. It's like Luke Skywalker is to Star Wars, right? Like he is the hope. If he doesn't come, we got nothing, right? Or if you're, maybe you're a Harry Potter guy, right? Harry Potter to Gryffindor. Like, like that's what we got. Know your audience, know your context, right? And so what we have here is that's the hope. If, if, we need this Messiah to come because right now we're, we're not enjoying, there's no hope. We're not enjoying what's before us. And so for these Jewish people, the, their understanding of Messiah was, it's going to bring us back to the glory years. It's going to bring us back to the idyllic kingdom and the idyllic king. And that idyllic kingdom and king is King David. Like, get us back to the mountaintop. When life was good, when we were ruling and reigning over, over all area that was known. But oftentimes they forgot that, what does Paul do? He goes in and says he uses the scriptures. Now, do you think they had a Bible like this? Probably not. Just, actually, no, they didn't. I don't want to say probably. Uh, they didn't have this Bible. In fact, they didn't have the New Testament yet. So what is he doing? He's coming in and he's, and he's pulling out some of the Old Testament scriptures. And he's going to use the Old Testament scriptures to talk about this Messiah, this Christ. And, it, and, and, he, and he says that, You've forgotten some of the Old Testament says that Isaiah 53 talks about this Messiah is going to be one who suffers, who endures difficulty, who, who is beaten and broken for his people. Psalm 22, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 13. What do we see here is that Paul's like, I'm going to use your scripture, boys, and I'm going to show you that there is a vision of the Messiah that you've forgotten and that, guess what, that this Jesus that, that, that came, this Jesus of Nazareth, it's not Jesus Christ like Jared Weaver, it's Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, he has come, and he fulfilled. And so Paul proclaims what we find, he, he makes a proclamation is this, is that Jesus brings the Messiah, not necessarily that we want, but the Messiah that we need. And so what we have here is a Messiah that the Jewish people needed, it's not necessarily what they wanted, but it's what they needed. And so then the content of what Paul's message is that this Christ has come and he's, and he's come to suffer. He's come to suffer in life. What did we celebrate three, four, five days ago? I can't even remember, right? It's been so long ago. Christmas, right? At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus coming. We, we celebrate the Christ coming and he doesn't come in glory. He doesn't come being living a life of posh existence. He comes humbly lowly, almost foreshadowing of the suffering that he's going to endure and experience in his life. And so the Christ Jesus has come and he's lived the life that we couldn't live and he dies the death that is necessary, but he rises, right? He rises and he shows himself to be victorious over that sin and that death. And the good news is, is that is what Paul is proclaiming is exactly what Jesus has proclaimed, 
Like that's good news, right? Because what we want is we want our scripture to match itself. We want our scripture to line up with what it says. Luke 9.22 says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so Paul is basically coming in and he's proclaiming the bedrock. He's proclaiming the foundation. He's proclaiming the gospel to the people of Thessalonica. And the gospel is this, is that Jesus has come to live the life that you can never live. He's lived the life, the perfect life. He came to, to, bring, to bear suffering that, that we deserve. And he, and he died the death that, guess what? Humanity deserves. We deserve ourselves because of the sin that has been brought into the world. But there is good news. There is good news. And that good news is this, is that that sin and that death and that suffering didn't hold your king down. He rose three days later. There, there we have good news. There we have victory. And so the gospel, friends, is good news. It's good news today. Do you recognize that? Like that is, whatever it is you're going through, whatever difficulties, however difficult and exhausting Christmas has been for you, recognize this, that your king, your Jesus, came to live a life for you, to die for you, and rose victorious, saying that sin and that death has no hold over him and lives victoriously. That's for you. I give that to you. He gives that to you. That's a truth for you to, to hold on to and to anchor you in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trying times when storms make their way. And so my question for you this morning is this. Are you still growing in your love of the gospel? Are you still growing in your love of the gospel today? Because you're here, you're at church on December 30th, that's like the service between Christmas and New Year. Like you have to like be a Jesus follower to be here this morning, right? Like you're committed. And so what I'm probably looking at is a lot of people who know the gospel. And so my question is, do you love the gospel today? Does it, does it fuel who you are? Because Tim Keller says it's not the ABCs of the faith, it's the A to Z of the faith. It's not something that we, that we have in the past and that we move on from. Like, well, I got my Jesus. I got my gospel. Now I'm going to go out and try to live this life. Whoa. That's a hard life, huh? But what we have is a truth that, that, that it's Jesus for us today. It's Jesus in our place. It's Jesus instead of us. And that's ju not just a conversion story. That's the disciples' anthem every single day. You see, here's the truth. Here's the truth about Jared. I can make this statement, and I hope all of us can make it, is I need Jesus today just as much as the day I first followed him. I didn't like grow up and be like, well, now I kind of don't need Jesus anymore. I'm going to go. No, I'm desperate for Jesus today just as much as the day when he said, hey, you need me. And the only thing that he's done in that time is said, hey, you need me more than you thought because you're a mess, and I got you. You're, you're crazy. You do things on your own. You try to control everything. I got you. That's what the gospel says. You need me today. And so, friend, is the gospel fueling your days? Or are you living on fading fumes of gospel grace in years past? Are you living on fading fumes of gospel grace in years past? I remember that time when I came to know Jesus and he did some work in my heart and my life, right? Is that, is that where you're at today? Because there is so much power for you today. It's available. It's accessible. It's been given to you. There is power in the gospel. There is power in the person of Jesus. 
There is power for you today. So friend, you can lay down this morning. I, I invite you, you can lay down your doing. You don't have to do. You can lay down your duty. You can lay down your trying and you can embrace being desperate and dependent just like your Savior did. See, the difference between us and Jesus is this, is that you and I, me, I am desperate and dependent by nature. I'm just created that way, sins in me. It makes me desperate and dependent for God to do something. Guess what Jesus is? He chose to be desperate and dependent for who? For you and for me, for us, so that we could be victorious. He, ch- let me, he chose that for you, for me. He chose to go that way. So I want to maybe hopefully paint a little picture give you a little glimpse of the freedom of being desperate and dependent, what comes with it. So I'm a parent, right? I got the five-year-old, the eight-year-old, and uh, I try. I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I try not to snap at my kids, right? Like, there's that moment, right? I try not to go daddy fury, right? Or maybe it's mommy tone, whatever that is, right? Like, you try not to. Like, you're trying with all that you have within you. But I find that that just keeps happening in my heart. And what the gospel tells me is that, guess what, Jared? You can't love your kids. You can't love them as I want you to. But guess what? You know who can? Jesus can. Jesus has. Jesus will. Jesus will love my kids better. Help me, Jesus, to love my kids today because I can't do it. What's in that? Power. Right? You've just given up. You're like, all right, God, help me now. Like now you're saying, God, empower me to do the impossible. Empower me to do what I cannot do. Maybe you're anxious, like me. I'm kind of an anxious dude. A little anxiety rolling on in me, right? I like to control things, right? Controlling things isn't good for relationships, just, just a FYI. Not good for marriages. Working that out constantly in our marriage. So, if maybe anxiety's got you, a little bit of anxious, right? How do we embrace the gospel now? How does desperate independent free me up in the midst of anxiety? Well, first, it's a recognition that I can't, contr- I can't control anything. Do you know that? I can't control anything. Maybe my own life or my own thoughts in my head. That's about the only thing I can control. I can't control anything outside of me and around me, ultimately. It's all a facade. I can't truly control anyone. But you know who can and you know who has? Jesus. And what does he do? The king of the universe. And what does he do with all of his control and all of his authority? He lays it down for you. He lays it down so that he can have life with you. And all of a sudden, now what is that? There's power. There's power because now I can trust you, God. You're a trustworthy God who allows me to trust you. I don't have to be in control because I know you are and I know what you do with that control. You serve me with it. You see, embracing desperate independence is embracing the power of the gospel to propel you to do far more than you could ask or imagine. Sometimes we think that ask or imagine is these big, grandiose things out there. But the reality is sometimes that ask or imagine is just loving the person you don't want to love. Like, I just don't like that person. They look funky at me. I don't like them. They make me frustrated. And God's like, I can help you love that person. Guess what? I can help you chase after that person. I can, encu- I can encourage you and empower you to do something you cannot do. That's the gospel. 
It is power and it is an authority that, that is, when it is unleashed, there is no bounds. There is no bounds in your life. There is no bounds for you in 2019, not because of, because of Jesus Christ and him alone. And so Paul comes proclaiming this message of the gospel. But then he goes on to our second gospel fuel, and that's this, is that it's, it's God's work in the response. It's God's work in the response. So come proclaiming the message, but then whose response? What's going on here in the response? Verse four. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so what we find here is that there are some people who received this message, and he's in the synagogue preaching the message, and, and we find that some Jews, it, the language here is basically, there's just a, a very few amount of Jews who actually receive this message, but the weight of the reception comes from the outsiders. It comes from the Gentiles, the Greeks, the outsiders, the, don't, the ones who don't have any concept of who God is, if you will. And it's not only the Greeks, but not a few of the leading women, right? That's basically a convoluted way of saying that prominent women began to receive the message as well. And so we have this, these people, these outsiders, these people receiving the gospel message. The ones that it was intended for going into the synagogue, the rejection. You see, women had held little sway and influence in Judaism, but the gospel gave them value. The gospel gives every person value. It says, I see you. I know you. I love you. I choose you. That's what the gospel does. It makes you a person. That's what's great. But some people aren't interested in that. Look at the Jews in verse five. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. You see, not everyone loves a Jesus who gives all, but commands all. Not everyone loves a Jesus who fulfills God's plan, not your plan. And here we have a Jesus who comes, and they stirred up some rabble-rousers, some lowlifes. Basically, we have henchmen, right? The Jews are saying, all right, we need, some, we need the lowest of lows, right? Get out there and start making a mess out there in the cities. And cause a bunch of, bunch, bunch of difficulty. And so they brought the heat. And they brought the heat against this follower named Jason. We don't really know much about Jason other than he's a, a follower from Thessalonica with a bunch of other followers. So these are people who have come to know the gospel. And they drug him out before the city authorities and they make some claims. And so what we find here is that these Jews, they're desperate and dependent, all right? What are they desperate and dependent for? Themselves. Their own control. Their own authority. Their own little world that they've perfectly crafted. And they're like, uh-oh, this thing's falling in on itself. Let's get, let's bring the heat. And so they draw up some charges against these followers of Jesus in verses 6 and 7. And we see that it, it, the first charge is this. They disrupted the civil peace. Right? They're bringing disruption. They're bringing instability. But who is really the one bringing the instability? 
the Jews, right? They're the ones drumming up this, this, this instability in this, this crowd. And then the second charge is treason and rebellion against Caesar, right? They said, oh, they're proclaiming another king, another king who's come. It's true, but just not true in the same way because the apostles' teaching, 1 Peter 2, 7 talks about Peter calls the people of Jesus to honor the emperor. So it's not a disregard of the emperor. It's honoring the emperor as you make Jesus your king. And so ultimately some bail is paid. All right, right, here's a little bit of money, right? We'll we'll pay some bail. It's a security basically saying that this is not going to happen anymore with these guys. And we'll go ahead and send them on their way. And we have here is this truth, is that the gospel is an all-inclusive message. The gospel is an all-inclusive message. We don't know who God is calling, persuading, whatever word you want to use, what he's doing with the gospel message. But it's an all-inclusive message, and it's for all, for everyone. And so, friend, who are the unlikelies? Who are the unlikely people in your midst that you need to be praying for? Who are the people that God has put in your life, the unlikelies that you, that you don't really think, oh, they're too far from God? They would never follow Jesus. They don't like him. You see, God loves to move in ways that we don't intend. And so would you be praying as you go into 2019 for him to open your eyes to those who are leaning into him in 2019? Be praying for eyes to see. Be praying. We did this first service, and I'll ask you to do the same. Let's go ahead and, would 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 you join me in closing your eyes? And let's ask God. God, ask God for a vision to see. A vision to see those people that he's put in your place. A vision to see those people he's put in your path. Who are the people in your courtyards? Who are the people at work? Who are the people that he has placed that that have come across your path that, that need to hear the news of Jesus? And secondly, begin to pray for a heart to love those people. God, help me to love them. Help me to care for them. Help me to chase after them. Thirdly is pray for words to speak to those that he's going to include in the kingdom. Like, like Lord, what are the words that, that you have for me, for them? How do I winsomely bring the gospel in this moment to these people? And begin envisioning this. Begin envisioning them sitting next to you. Sitting next to you in your home. Sitting next to you at your table. Sitting next to you in this worship center. And sitting next to you in your life group. Because in that life group is 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 a gathering of believers who have joined you in living on mission. And so that would be a beautiful place for them to see and to hear. And so God, we pray that you would bring to heart these, bring to mind these people that you have called us to, the unlikelies, and we pray that you would help us to go and to, to love them with Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Third gospel fuel for you this morning is this, is that persistence pays off. Look at verses 10 through 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. 
Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And so they've made their journey. They've been stationed in Thessalonica. Now they've been run out of town, and they make their way just a few miles down the road, 45 miles to the southeast, southwest, to Berea. And it's a shorter distance, and the hope is, 1 Thessalonians 2.18 tells us that uh, they desired to return back to Thessalonica because, remember, they weren't in Thessalonica very long. It was at least three Sabbaths, but probably a couple months intermixed there. And so they didn't get a lot of time to establish this church, to establish these followers in the way. And so uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says that they, Satan hindered them from returning. And so their persecution, though, they, they've made their way to Berea. They're there. And, you know, Paul and Silas continue to proclaim in spite of pain and persecution. Uh, they, they could have been easily like, well, you know, we worked pretty hard in Thessalonica. We gave it all we had there, and we got run out of town. Let's just take a little breather. Let's take a little break in Berea. We'll catch our breath, and, and, and we'll go on to the next stage. Yep, they continue to proclaim in spite of that persecution. You see, sometimes when I look at my own life, I, I, I find that my proclamation of Jesus is, is not like Paul and Silas's. My proclamation is more like my running. What do I mean by that, right? Well, when I wake up, and it's cold, and it's dark, if it's any rain at all, if it's cold, dark, and rainy, then I take that. Uh, it's a word from the Lord. He doesn't want me to run today. <laughs> I'm pretty good with that. I'm like, all right, God, thanks. All right. You know, and if I get home from work and it's a little windy, you know, maybe a little hot, and uh, I'm just not feeling super great, a little uncomfortable. Yep, a word from the Lord doesn't want me to run today. Pretty good with that, right? You see, I, if God wanted me to run, he'd be 75 and sunny. I run when it's 75 and sunny. Okay, God, I'm in. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do it. But so if you make it 75 and sunny, I'll do it. Right? Isn't that sometimes how we are with our, with our proclaiming of Jesus? Like, if you make it 75 and sunny, God, I will tell them about Jesus. But I see some clouds. I see a little rain in the distance. I don't think you want me to say it. But what do you have with Paul and Silas? They're like, this is what we do. We show up, we tell people about Jesus, and we see what God does. We see where he's going to go. And sometimes when we proclaim Jesus, it gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? Sometimes when you proclaim the name of Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, it gets a little weird, a little awkward. That's okay. That's exactly where you need to be, right? You just keep working through that with people. And sometimes it's just downright hard. But Paul shows us that persistence pays off because what is the reception here in Berea? It's the complete opposite of Thessalonica. Look at that, verse 11 and 12. It says that these Jews were more noble. Why are they more noble? Because they received the word with eagerness. They're like, oh, what what is Paul, what's he saying? Oh, this is true stuff. He's telling us about the Christ. He's talking about the Messiah. He's showing us that the Messiah is to come. He's to suffer, he's to die, and he's to live. It's Jesus. And what do they do? They examine what he says, and they're like, 
He's telling the truth. Let's follow this guy. Let's follow this Jesus. What we have here is that these followers, these Jews, were not religious know-it-alls. That's a dangerous place to be, huh? To religiously know everything, have everything set in your boilerplate, set in your categories, and you're like, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't happen. No, these were not religious know-it-alls, but they were humble followers of God. And so as they had more information, they're like, this is the good stuff. This is what we're looking for. And so the response then is these Jews begin to follow. And it says Greek men and women as well follow in the same way. And so, so friend, Christian, believer, this morning, may you persist in your everyday missionary endeavors. Because you never know when your Berea is around the corner. You never know when that's happening. You never know if your Berea is going to be your barista. I've been waiting for that all day. Huh? No, but you never know when your Berea is going to be at your sport clips. You never know if it's going to be at Silva Valley Elementary, right? Sutter Hospital, Kaiser Hospital, wherever it is that he has you. You don't know when that's, when that's coming, right? But you continue to proclaim because your Berea moment might be just around the corner. You might get warm reception, and people might say, that is the word that I have been waiting for. See, just as persistence pays off, we find that persecution will persist, though. What happens to them? But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And so what we find is that if you hit roadblocks, if you hit obstacles as you launch into 2019 with, with the person and the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you bring that and you hit roadblocks and difficulties, keep persistent because you're right where God wants you as long as you're making much of Jesus and not yourself, right? But as long as you're making much of who Jesus is, God has you right where he wants you. And sometimes that means difficulty comes. And so we find then that Paul leaves town Heads up to Athens, Timothy and Silas, they stay until Paul calls for them again as the, at the end of this section. And so my, my gospel fuel for you for 2019 is this, is that as you seek to be the living proof of a loving God, remember this, that the content of his message is yours. He has given you a message, and that message is that Jesus has, has come for you. And today, not like past in the past, but past, present, and future, it's a message that's yours. And it's a message that anchors you through the difficulties of this life. And so you've got a message, but you've also got his work in the response. He does the response from the people around you. And sometimes it's ups and there's downs and there's peaks and there's valleys when you're following God and you're proclaiming who he is. Lastly, as you go into 2019, remember that persistence will pay off either in this life or the next. And so three questions then for you to fuel your launch into 2019, right? How do we process this a little bit? How do we think through this just briefly? First question is this, as you think about going into 2019, where can you identify areas of growth in 2018? Where can you identify areas of growth? Where can you say, that I saw God there. And, and that anxiousness that I once had in this space and in this area, it's no longer there. Thank you, God, right? Identify the growth and point to the grower of the growth, your God, not ourselves, and saying, God, thank you for doing that in me. How gracious and how generous you are to grow me and to change me. 
Where has God grown your faith in him? Where has he grown your trust in his promises? You see, these Berean Jews, they came looking for God. Like, they're like, where is God at work? Right, that's what they're looking for. And, and the Thessalonican Jews are like, yeah, we know how God works. And you're not fitting our category, right? No, let's look back and say, where has God been at work? And let's be excited about that and say, God, thank you for moving. Thank you for working. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for doing that. Because identifying growth, I, I, listen to this, identify growth and also write it down, right? Like, like write that down. Say, God, thank you for doing that. Keep that so you can go back to those. Because they're, remember, there's those dark places, right? You come back and you say, oh, yes, God, thank you for doing that. Remember, right? Preach to yourself what God has done in 2018 because it's going to get a little rocky in 2019. I'm sure of it. I don't know how, but in some way. And so identifying growth, experiencing growth keeps us from being religiously sure, doesn't it? It's saying, God, you're changing me. You're transforming. You're at work in me. Help me to not be so sure of myself, but continue to see you at work growing me and changing me. Second question is this. How can you fuel your curiosity in God for 2019? How can you fuel your curiosity for God in 2019? How can you stretch your mind this year? Because a curious person is a humble person, right? Because they're like, I want to know things. I don't know it all. Know it all's who know it all are dangerous, right? But what we want to be is curious, humble people asking God, how can I be curious? How can I learn more about you, right? What does it look like to know the gospel more this year? How do I love the gospel today so that it empowers me to live my life with power? Maybe it's stepping out, right? Maybe it's just I need to learn about God by, by putting myself in a position where I fail, how do I step out into something, right? How do I be terrible at something? Because when we learn new things and we're terrible, what does that require of us? Humility. And humility is a posture that God loves. He treasures our humility. And so we put ourselves in positions saying, God, help me to learn this, right? I'm, I'm learning how to ride a bike and I'm falling all the time. Help me. Help me to understand that. Because God's in those spaces with you. Third question is this, what does it look like for you to winsomely live and proclaim Jesus to someone on your prey watch list? To winsomely live and proclaim Jesus to someone on your prey watch list. Because God's at work around you. God's at work showing himself around you. And so the language we've been using here is, is how do we pray watch step? What does it look like to make that step of proclamation this year in 2019? What is he calling you to do? Maybe it's leveraging a workout resolution, right? Let's leverage these things that God's calling us to do and say, all right, I'm gonna go do that and I'm gonna do that because so-and-so does it. I actually don't like it all that much, but for the sake of the gospel, it's worth it, right? Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna go outside in my front yard because I see my neighbors and when I go out there and play with my kids, right, they, they're kind of more inclined to come out and play with me. And so I'm going to go out there and begin to be with them and to love them and to show and tell them Jesus so that one day I do get to actually tell them of this message, of this message that has transformed and radically changed my life, I pray, right? And it's showing itself in how I care about people around me. And so, friend, I ask you this morning is, is as you step, 
As you step with the gospel into 2019, I remind you of this, the pressure's off. The pressure's off. It's not about you. You don't have to stress because it's whose message? It's his message. And who does the work? He does the work. And what do we continue to do? Continue to persist in saying, God, help me to follow and to step. That's all we do. And so the pressure's off this morning. And you have Jesus empowering you, calling you, and pushing you into where he wants you to be. Would you step this, this year? Let's pray. God, thank you for your message. Thank you for your message of Jesus Christ, of the one who has come for us, in place of us, instead of us, so that we would have life, we would have victory, not only in the coming age, oh God, thank you for that, but so that we would have victory today in what it is you are asking us to do. Because God, sometimes it's hard just to get out of bed. Sometimes it feels impossible just to simply love my kids, love my spouse, but you, God, are with me, and you have given me Jesus, and you are helping me to move forward. And so I pray, God, anybody here this morning that that needs that reminder that you would encourage their hearts, encourage them with the truth that Jesus is, is with them, empowering them, giving them victory wherever they're going and whatever they're doing in their life today. And that victory is sure in the future. And so God, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your message. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.